Well, good morning. It's good to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a real gift to gather with my Christian brothers and sisters, gathering under the Lordship of Jesus to just worship and to uh, sit at His feet and to hear His voice among us. I pray that uh, in the next few moments, as we open the Word, as we open Scripture, uh, something inside of each of us would open as well. Because I think it's interesting, Jesus oftentimes when He was teaching, He said things like, for those who have ears to hear, eyes to see. You know, He wanted us to open something inside of ourselves so that we might receive the wisdom of what He was saying, the truth that God wants us to know. So there's something uh, important happening on Sundays when we gather. There's great potential uh, that can be affected when we gather together. Do you believe that? I mean, sometimes church can kind of fall into just this habit, something we do. It's like, well, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to church, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, but it's so much more than that. You know, heaven is not going to be in, a, in a, an everlasting church service. Thank the Lord, right? When I was a kid, I felt like a bad Christian because people said, like, heaven is going to be like a never-ending church service. It's like, oh, Oh, no. Did I save my receipt, you know, on, on my salvation? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's probably sacrilegious. But um, anyone else feel that way? It's like sometimes we're, we kind of have this vision of heaven that's pretty small and pretty like, you know, I never wanted to sit on a cloud strumming a harp wearing a diaper. I mean, that was just never, never scratched my itch, never cranked my tractor. You know, I wanted something more. And what's being offered to us is far more than we could ask or imagine. Jesus says, I came that you'd have life and have it to the full, or your Bible might say, have abundant life. And if the creator of the universe says to you, I came so that you might have abundant life, how big is abundant? How vast is abundant? Man, that sounds like more than strumming a harp on a cloud, right? Or uh, being in an everlasting church service. Really, if this is as good as it gets, I mean, Kyle, you're great. We're, you know, this is great. But man, I think that what Jesus is talking about is far, far better. So anyway, let's jump in. We are back into our, our Father series, our teaching series, our learning adventure through Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, but specifically the Lord's Prayer. The time that Jesus said, hey, when you pray, pray like this, giving us a framework so that we might engage our prayer life appropriately to sit with the Father and to have those life-giving conversations. So uh, this is our third week in that series, and today is called How Not to Pray. How Not to Pray. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it's really helpful to hear about how to do something, but oftentimes it's even more helpful to learn how not to do something. Okay, so we're going to talk about how not to pray today. Now, I understand talking about prayer uh, and talking about sometimes our dissatisfaction or our, our frustration with prayer is only speaking to part of the room. Some of you are aces at prayer. You are just happy as a clam. You get it. You got it. It's not frustrating at all. But just by a show of hands, has anyone here ever been or maybe currently frustrated in their prayer life? It can be frustrating, right? I mean, I sound like a, law, a, a lawyer commercial there. It's like, if you've been affected by frustration in prayer, call this number. You may be eligible for compensation. But us humans, we have a long and somewhat tortured relationship with prayer. I believe that most people pray. I think most people believe that most people pray. Most people pray in some way. Uh, 
But I think that everyone who does, Christian and non-Christian alike, I think at some level they feel insecure. I think when it comes to prayer they feel fearful. It might even feel like they're just doing it wrong. Have you ever felt like you might just be doing it wrong? Like you need to be pulled aside by some angel and like, hey, <laughs> you're really messing this up. <laughs> if you want him to do anything for you, you got to say this. You're not even ending your prayer in Jesus' name. You know, how do you expect him to answer anything if you don't end it that way? <laughs> anyway, um, we are, in our imaginations, our perceived ineptitude, uh, it explains our frustrating lack of results in prayer. Our imaginations kind of in, uh, come in and start to make us believe that God is probably pretty angry with us, if for nothing else, for the badness of our prayers. You know, that God's like, oh my goodness, face palm. Stop praying. Please. Your prayers are just so, so bad. Has anyone ever felt this way? Like, I'm stinking up the place with my prayer. Sorry, God. Our religious imagination can really take us for a wild ride when it comes to prayer and cause us a lot of uh, just uh, anxiety and frustration. Uh, N.T. Wright explains the situation this way. He says, Prayer is one of life's great mysteries. Most people pray at least sometimes. Some people, in many different religious traditions, pray a great deal. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off, off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love, as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of His reality, generosity, delight, and grace. For most Christians, most of the time, prayer takes place somewhere in between these two extremes. To be frank, for many people, it is not just a mystery, but a puzzle. They know they ought to do it, but they aren't quite sure how. That there's some, like, master's level understanding of prayer that most of us just aren't gaining access to. That if we really studied hard and applied ourselves, we'd break through to pray correctly. But here's the thing. This frustration with prayer, this feeling like we might be missing out or doing it wrong, I don't think it's just Christians. I think it's a human thing. I think, we all, I think all praying people struggle to rightly apprehend and engage in this idea of prayer, whether they are praying to God, whether they are praying to the sun or to a volcano, praying to some rain gods or a fertility goddess or even to Zeus. Take your pick. I think everyone who has prayed throughout human history has felt a little bit uh, nervous, a little bit frustrated. A good amount of superstition and anxiety has always accompanied our praying. Why? Because we understand that prayer crosses a threshold. Prayer reaches out and crosses a threshold between the natural and the supernatural. The physical and the metaphysical. The seen and the unseen. There's this aspect, this dynamic of prayer that naturally or automatically brings us to a place where we sense that we're reaching into an unknown space. We're reaching across a threshold of sorts. Prayer reaches across that liminal space, passing through the doorway between our place where we are and into that place where the gods reside. This is kind of a fundamental understanding of what prayer is. It's us reaching out from our place through a doorway into that place where the gods dwell. 
Thus, we as humans, we have always felt pressure to get praying right. Because what more important thing could we be doing beyond sending our messages, our communication, our thoughts, our, our desires into the place where the gods dwell? So prayer has always been rife with a little bit of significance and fear. We've always felt the pressure to get praying right, to say the right things, to order our prayers properly, and to express the right amount of enthusiasm, the right amount of emotion, because after all, we are dealing with the gods, right? So prayer is a heavyweight kind of thing. As a result, in all religious traditions, familiar forms and prescribed patterns of praying emerged in the practice of religion. Forms and patterns uh, came about to answer that question about how do I pray? Every religion was ready to hand their people prescribed forms, uh, formulas even, on how to pray. And Jesus was very aware of that in his own day. Jesus, looking around on that hillside, knew that these people were laboring under these formulas, under these patterns, these prescribed ways to pray. This is why, I believe, in teaching his disciples about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins by acknowledging the cultural and religious pressure surrounding prayer. I like Jesus. He knows us, and he looks, and he's like, oh man, my heart first goes to you and this burdensome understanding you have of prayer, and I would love first to free you from that. So he speaks to it. Jesus, being ever sympathetic to the human plight, he starts with how not to pray. He starts with by graciously warning his disciples to be careful. Be careful steer, to steer clear of common prayer practice pitfalls. That's a lot of alliteration, but it's good. Steer clear of these common prayer practice pitfalls. Prayer, practice, pitfalls. I feel like a real preacher all of a sudden. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at Jesus' instructions here. Jesus talking to us in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as, and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. How revolutionary was that for, for Jesus to say, hey, stop. Stop wearing yourself out in this. Would you believe that God knows exactly what you need even before you ask him? You know, God doesn't need you to pray to Him so that He would be informed. He already knows. He already knows there's something important happening, though, when you turn to Him, you attend to Him with this understanding that He gets it, He knows, He cares for you, and that He's ready to respond. So as Jesus looked around on that hillside uh, that we read about in Matthew chapter uh, 6, He saw people that were responding to prayer pressure in two basic ways. 
Everyone around Jesus, he could sort them into two basic categories. He said, hey, these people around me today, they are uh, responding to prayer pressure by, one, the pursuit of public approval, or the pursuit of ritualistic certainty. Everyone around him, there were some who were pursuing uh, public approval in their praying as if that made it more significant or more real. And then there were those who were leaning on ritualistic certainty. By going through these rituals and doing them just right, they would be more and more assured that they would get God to do what they needed or they wanted. Look at verses 5 and 6. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. When you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Who do you think Jesus was talking about in his audience that day? There were religious teachers, scholars, Pharisees around him. The poster children of the public approval crowd uh, were no doubt the hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites, actors. They're acting for public notice and public approval. These were probably Jewish men who participated frequently in worship at the synagogue. These were men who often uh, prayed and they loved to be seen doing it. They didn't mind to lift their voice and pray, and really deep down, they just loved it. It just really made them feel valuable, that they were praying so that others might see. They were just a really good prayer. They enjoyed a reputation for holiness based on their public prayer performances in the synagogue and apparently on the street corners. Referring back to verse 2, Jesus says, They will receive nothing from God, for they in the accolades of men, have already received their reward. Jesus says, hey, that applause you get at the end of your prayer, your excellent prayer, enjoy it, man. Because that's all you get. God turns his ear from you. Like, you're not praying to me, you're praying to them. So let them reward you. Let them hear you. He says, you will not get, be heard. You've already received your reward. It's important to see here that Jesus is not warning against prayer. Look carefully. He's not saying, hey, stop doing this altogether. He says, when you pray. He begins his statement with, when you pray, indicating what? Well, he's indicating that we should pray. We will pray. So when you do it, be on your guard. Likewise, Jesus isn't prohibiting public praying or praying with others, is he? Yeah, he says, you need to have this private, personal prayer practice in a closet, in your prayer closet, or your quiet place with God. But also, there's going to be times when you pray together, and there's an important understanding about how we ought to do that, even. Indeed, Jesus will open the Lord's Prayer itself with what two words? Our Father. Our Father, assuming that... Prayer will necessarily and often be happening in a community setting, in a public space, uh, in the gatherings of the faithful. So I guess maybe what he's saying is like, hey, your prayers that happen in here publicly need to spring from the time spent in private. That humble position, that humble attitude and posture before God. So then when we come together and pray together, we're in the right space. We're in the right relationship. We have this right understanding of what prayer is for, what prayer is about. 
Because clearly we do it together. We pray together. One of the commentators I looked at named D.A. Carson, he, he, had, he points this out. He says, if Jesus were prohibiting all public prayer, then clearly the early church did not understand him. They missed the point. The public versus private antithesis is a good test of one's motives. The person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he is less interested in God's approval than in human praise. Not piety, but a reputation for piety is his concern. Yikes. Yeah, the person who prays more in public, that often betrays an atrophied personal prayer life. They're really just seeking the approval and the accolades of man. So the important lessons here are, are this. Uh, number one, God looks at your heart. God listens to your heart. He's not listening to how awesome your prayers are. I mean, go ahead, make some awesome prayers, but that's not what's going to get you in good graces with God. God's looking at your heart. He's listening to your heart. And number two, our prayers, whether in public or in private, they must grow out of a true walk with God, a deepening devotion with God, to God. Okay, that's, uh, The prayer becomes the fruit of that real relationship that you have with God Himself. So... Public approval. There were some around Jesus that were seeking public approval, yet there were others there that Jesus sensed and understood they were seeking ritualistic certainty. Let's read verses 7 and 8. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So, in addition to those seeking public approval, through their prayers or with their prayers, Jesus also saw people who were tangled up in their pursuit of ritualistic certainty. I mean, wouldn't it feel good if we had a formula that would make God do what you asked? That God would make the sickness go away? That God would make the miracle check show up in the mailbox? I mean, it'd be great if we had some kind of like formula we could do, some book we could read and learn, the checklist that if we do all these things, we've boxed God in, we've painted Him into a corner, and He's got to do it. You know, I think we want that, and we feel like we're reaching toward that ritualistic certainty when we just lay it on over and over, and we do it repetitiously. Just like children pleading with their parents, we can try to get God's attention through repetition. Through the repetition of our prayers and, and through our many words. Hopefully to gain His acquiescence and get Him to do what we want. You've seen kids do this, right? It's like they just don't stop. And over and over again, a million times a day, it backfires. It just makes your parent annoy. <laughs> it does for me. Maybe I'm working through that carnal spirit. But uh, when my kids are over and over through repetition trying to get me to do what I want, I'm less inclined to do what they want. But that's just me. But we try it anyway. We just lay it on over and over again because if I do it enough and, hit, and bug him enough, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, acquiesce. N.T. Wright helps us here. He says, Jesus contrasts the sort of praying he has in mind with the sort that went on in much of the non-Jewish world. We know from many writings and inscriptions that many non-Jews did indeed use multiple formulas in their prayers. Long, complicated, magic words which they would repeat over and over again in their anxiety to persuade some god or goddess to be favorable to them. Such prayers are often marked by a note of uncertainty. 
There were many divinities in the ancient pagan world, and nobody quite knew which one might need pacifying next or with what formula. I think even as Christians, we can fall into this like uh, mantra or incantation thinking that we just have to say these right things over and over again, and somehow they'll unlock the door with God. Both in the pagan world, in the Gentile world, but also in the Jewish world, people trusted in babbling. They trusted in repeating words as if the quantity of what they prayed mattered more than the quality of what they prayed to God. Again, it's important to notice that Jesus here is not saying, uh, don't be persistent in your prayers. Okay, because sometimes we can react like, well, I better keep my prayers simple, short, and sweet, and not repeat them. <laughs> That's not what he's saying, because uh, persistence apparently matters. Jesus is not discouraging persistence in prayer. Why? Because otherwise, he would be contradicting other things he taught us in other parts of the Gospels. It would be problematic. He would be going against and undermining other things he taught. Uh, you can look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Jesus says, keep on asking. When you pray, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. There's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 you can read, where it basically covers the same thing. Two of the gospel writers picked up on this. Jesus wants us to be persistent in our prayers. Uh, look over at uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, this is the story of the persistent widow. One day Jesus, how far am I reading here? Okay, yeah. Uh, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who, uh, who never feared God nor cared about people. A widow in that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting you off? I tell you the truth, he will grant justice to them quickly. So Jesus is clearly encouraging us to be persistent in our prayers. What he wants us to do is avoid the ditches that lie on both sides of the right road. Okay, uh, One ditch would be that public approval. Praying so that we might be approved by man. So avoid the ditch of public approval, but also avoid that ditch of, of ritualistic certainty. There's a space in between that leads us in the right way. Trust in the Lord and be persistent, yes, but have our hearts set on our good God. A follower of Jesus, hear this, a follower of Jesus can have a settled confidence. A, a follower of Jesus can have a settled confidence, a quiet peace, knowing that God already knows your needs. He already knows your fears. He already knows your anxieties and your concerns. Your Father knows you, and He cares for you. Before you even pray, God knows who you are, and He cares about you. How good is that to hear? How good is that to know? God knows you and He hears you even before you pray. We, we needn't go crazy trying to get His attention through volumina, voluminous prayers and repetitious supplications. Be free of that. 
You don't have to bear the burden of getting your prayers right or praying just enough to get God to do what you want. He knows you and He cares for you. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt at home with God? I mean, honestly, when was the last time you felt welcome with God? You felt at home. You really felt at peace in His presence. Has prayer been a place of welcome for you? Has it been a place of, of deepening knownness with God? That you feel like you're part of the family with God? Or has prayer been more of a mystery or a puzzle that you might be just feel like you're missing some pieces? Has prayer been a source of frustration, of angst? Has prayer been this weird uh, dichotomy uh, uh, that's both important but also intimidating at the same time? So we're drawn toward it, but we're also pushed away from it because of our understanding, our perception of it? Many of us here have been following Jesus for a long time, but we're kind of exhausted when it comes to prayer. Kind of frustrated when it comes to prayer. We've been living in, in this sense of uncertainty in our ability to pray. We're insecure fundamentally in our about our relationship with God. I mean, honestly, we could talk about that. I mean, how do you feel insecure? What level of insecurity do you feel in your relationship with God? I think if we went around the room and interviewed everybody, we'd see people kind of coming in all over the map. Some people sitting here right now aren't really convinced that God even likes them. But here Jesus is saying, hey, God likes you and he's attentive. He's listening. He's waiting to commune with you, to talk with you, to have conversation. But sometimes that's hard to get through our skulls, to get into a place where we feel really at home and we can overcome that insecurity. Jesus comes to clear away the confusion. Jesus comes to clear away the, all that frenetic religious activity that so often and so easily clutters up our prayer life. Would you believe it that true, effective, meaningful prayer is simple? It's simple. It's accessible. Jesus is spending his time kind of is spending his time just kind of knocking down the high walls we've built around this, this important part of what it means to interact with God. He says, hey, it's simple. It's simple, so come close. Jesus' desire is that we would have an ongoing conversation with God. A conversation like that between a child and their parent, a child and their father. Indeed, we are able to begin our prayers, our public and our private prayers, with the word Abba. Does anyone know what Abba means? It means dad. It's, it's a more familiar term than father, but we see this in Paul's writings too. It's like we, we get to call God Abba, which would be like us saying, we get to call God dad. Dad. Can you imagine yourself high-stepping it into the throne room of God and like, hey, Dad? That feels weird, doesn't it? But there's an invitation here, a familiarity that we're actually, in Christ, invited into. There is this respect, there is this awe, there is this biblical kind of fear, but there's also this at-homeness, this welcome, this comfort that we're invited to have with God and call Him Dad. Jesus is saying, hey, I call him Father, but Paul goes on to say, yeah, I call him Dad, and you can too. In addressing our prayers to God as Father, Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to share in His relationship with the Father. We are invited through faith in Jesus to 
become God's children, to join God's family. This radical familiarity with our Creator, it belongs to us in and through Jesus Christ. By faith, we are welcomed to come close and to enjoy true intimacy with God through prayer. So I'll close with this. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is giving us a framework for prayer intended to show us how to pray and not necessarily what to pray. This is why, in response to his disciples' requests, Jesus said, hey, pray like this. Pray like this, in the New Living Translation, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, English Standard, the ESV, I keep thinking the Elect Standard Version, but because uh, my Reformed friends love it. But anyway, uh, the English, ESV, English Standard Version says, Pray then like this. Or the NIV says, this then is how you should pray. So the disciples come and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he's like, all right, well, this then is how you do it. This then is how you should pray. What is important about what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer is that we ought to pray. Not that we must pray this particular prayer or in that particular way in order to be heard. How refreshing is that? Jesus is like... <laughs> Good, bad, or ugly, just pray. Pray. What's important is that you're praying. You don't have to pray this certain prayer or pray in this way. Just show up. Share with God what's going on. Jesus makes it clear we ought to pray. It's not about praying this prayer or that prayer. It's just that we ought to. And when we do, actually just show up. Be with God. Jesus invites us to pray to our Father, invites us to enter into conversation between a child and a parent, to sit together, and to have an unforced conversation. Just an easy, life-giving, unforced conversation. We have an invitation here. We have an invitation given to us by Jesus, and guess what? God is attentive. God is aware, and He's already listening to you. How does that make you feel? That God's already listening to you. He's already attentive. He already knows and He already cares. The pressure to get it right has been relieved for us by Jesus. Jesus Himself has come and said, Hey, shh, 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 just settle down. Take it easy. Enjoy it. Stop feeling like you've got to do all this stuff to get it right. Just be there. Be with the Father and share your heart. He is your Father. So, I want to close with two questions, and I want you to consider these as the uh, musicians come back up. But If you could sit with God and talk with Him today, what would you say? If you knew with certainty that you were able to sit with God and be heard by Him, if you were able to sit with God today and, and to talk with Him, what would you say? If you were free to be honest and just dredge up all that stuff that you've been holding away from God, afraid to say or afraid that it might leak out or be, be heard, what would you say? If you knew it was safe, if you knew you were welcome, if you could sit with God and talk with Him today, what would you say? Secondly, if you sat with God today, what do you think He might say to you? If you were able to sit with God today in that same welcoming space, what do you think God might want to say to you? Do you believe that He has something to speak to you, to say to you, something He desires to heal in you, 
to bring back together in you? Well, this isn't an imaginary space, guys. This is the gift we are given. We can sit with our Father today because of what Jesus has accomplished. We can sit with God as our Father. We can come close and we can talk to Him. We can say those things to Him. We can come close, sit with Him, and we can hear Him speak to us, speak to us through His Word, speak to us through His Holy Spirit, through prayer, and through other godly friends in our lives. But my biggest hope is that we would understand the gift we're given and that we would step into it and we would learn to enjoy it because God is listening and God cares. Let's pray. Father, strangely, we spend years following after Jesus, but sometimes we feel like a, a, a stranger in that most sacred space that place of prayer where we're invited to come close and to open our hearts and to uh, lay our lives before you. God, we can feel pretty uh, exposed and nervous and sometimes ashamed. But I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to help clear away the clutter, clear away the debris, all of our misunderstandings and misconceptions, to pull us out of those ditches of public approval and ritualistic certainty to set us back on the path of communion with you. God, I pray that you give us hearts that desire to speak with you, desire to hear from you. God, may we be receptive. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. God, your desire is for us to be known, known by you, known in our Christian fellowship. God, I think it starts a lot of times with a healing work. I think we have to be healed of some things. We have to be corrected in some things. And I love it that Jesus didn't set up this tall, this long list of things we've got to learn to do and learn to do rightly in order to be heard. We don't have to follow some ritual, some, like, some well-defined pattern in order for us to actually be able to pray. God, that, that Jesus would invite us to just enter into a, a space of familiarity and just open our hearts and open our mouths and just say, God, I need you. Lord, what would it take for us to be convinced? If Jesus wasn't enough, what else would it take to convince us that you are aware of us, you're attentive, and that you care? And what Jesus did, that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he invites us to follow after him. That should convince even the most skeptical, even the most frustrated, even the most discouraged that you care and that you're eager to be known. So God, we're going to sit for some, some time here, a few minutes. We're going to turn our attention to you. We're going to ask that you would speak to us and God, we're going to talk to you. And I pray that something special and meaningful would happen today. And maybe for some, the first time in a long time, they would sense your presence in a very um, healing and transformative way. But God, whatever it is we've been carrying with us, I pray that you would help us set, us set it aside. All these things that are obstructing our ability to just be with you, I pray that you would call them to our attention, that we might confess them, that we might repent of them, that we might be able to just be available to attend to the work of your Spirit today. And Lord, we make our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's take a few moments as we worship.
Sit close and have a conversation with God today.